0: Hello, Mamas. We are Allison, Kelsey, and Melissa, and we would like to welcome you to the Unstressed Mama podcast, the podcast that will teach you how to manage the daily stress that comes from being a mom.
1: Nothing is off limits here from peeing your pants to balancing your budget to working out. We'll talk about it. Please note that the information we provide on this show is intended to educate and inform, but is not meant to substitute any advice from your physician or medical provider.
0: In today's episode, we will be answering your questions. We have polled the Unstressed Mama Facebook group, and we have three questions that we are going to answer today. We will keep the remaining questions for future episodes, so keep them coming and if we don't have the answer to your questions we'll search for an expert to come on and be a guest on the show i think these are going to be some of my favorite episodes and we're planning to do these frequently
2: even though i'm a host i am going to get a question in here so some background i started running last year it's not the first time i've started this i have a long and kind of funny relationship with running it's not my favorite So this question is for both Melissa and Kelsey. I recently started having pain in my heel. Um, I self-diagnosed through Google, (laughs) which I realize is not the best thing. And it seemed like it might be plantar fasciitis, but I truly have no idea. This is the first time it's ever happened. Um, I actually did ask my massage therapist about it, but it's um, still not getting better. So should I, A, see a doctor, B, see a physical therapist, C, get new shoes, or D, other?
1: So I'm going to start by asking you what your symptoms are that you put into Google to get to that conclusion.
2: Okay. So it's a pain in my left heel um, and it does not go away throughout the day. It doesn't seem to matter, you know, how much I walk on it or whatever. It's always there. It does hurt more when I've been sitting for a while and then get up and stand on it. And when I touch it, it hurts. And it's almost like, um, it almost feels like a bruise or a pulled muscle.
1: Does it hurt at the back of your heel, like where your shoe would touch or the back of the arch of your foot? Does that make sense?
2: Right on the bottom of my heel. Like okay. the, I guess the back of the arch would be more.
1: Okay. More appropriate. And would you say it's the worst, like first thing in the morning when you get out of bed after you've been sleeping all night?
2: Um, I don't know because I did see that on Google. <laughs> um. And I've been trying to pay attention, but it doesn't seem to be the worst Then it seems to be kind of steady all day.
1: So my first thought without being able to see you in person is it might not be plantar fasciitis because those, when I have worked with clients with plantar fasciitis and all the research that I've done, they're very prominent with that. It's called first step pain. So in the morning, if you, if you have truly have plantar fasciitis, the first step out of bed in the morning is going to be the most painful. And it does get better as the day goes on, because as you start to move that fascia in your foot starts to warm up and it's a little bit more pliable. Um, so the first thing in my head is that it is probably not actually plantar fasciitis. It's probably something different, which is good because plantar fasciitis really sucks to deal with. If you've talked to anybody who's had it, it's awful. It's really hard one of the best things to do if you've got, if you've got issues with, with fascia, tendons, ligaments, anything like that, the best thing to do is to rest it so that it can heal and you can recover. And as you know, we're people that walk all the time. So unless you have the ability to not walk for a decent amount of time, it actually is a very challenging injury to heal from. And you'll hear runners that will be dealing with plantar fasciitis for months and months and months because they just can't, you can't get off your feet. That's just not something that we're able to do. So. Um, do you have something to add Melissa?
0: Yeah. So, you know, being, uh, an avid runner, I've had plantar spasciitis throughout my life. Um, in that first step pain, like you wake up and you like your knees buckle because it hurts so bad. Um, and it, I remember I'm like, it was like 12 years ago I was training for my first marathon and that's when I remember having it, not knowing at the time that I, it, what it was. And I was able to, you know, rest it for a little bit and I got through the marathon without much issues, but I didn't really rest it enough. And then I finally went and what helped me that time was, um, uh, oh my gosh, acupuncture. And so when I went to acupuncture, I did like two sessions and that was my right foot and it's never come back. Um, and my right foot now, obviously there's lots of things that could come back, but it's, that first morning pain is, it's, it's like so unbearable that you literally like fall
2: when you get out of bed. So. I mean, yeah, mine's more like, if, if I thought that there were muscles down there, it almost feels like a pulled muscle or a bruise, but it's lasted for a really long time. It's just, weird. and even to touch it on the outside is painful. So it's really bizarre. But yeah, I remember hearing you say about the first morning pain being so bad you couldn't stand it. And I thought, hmm, mine is annoying, but it's not, you know, and if I walk, I limp a little bit, but it's not so bad that, that I would, you know, be in agony or anything. It's just irritating. And I definitely don't want to run on it. I've just been walking only.
1: So I would say that the, the first step pain is kind of the hallmark sign of plantar fasciitis. And so if you're not having that, you're probably, and and it can present differently with everybody. Our bodies are all different. So something that presents for most people may not be the same for you, but there's, it's very likely that it's not truly plantar fasciitis. You do definitely have something going on in your foot or else you wouldn't be having pain. It wouldn't be persistent. My, my first thought is that it's not plantar fasciitis and that there is um, somewhere else to look or something else to look at to find what's causing the issue. I have a recommendation, but I'm going to see if most has anything else to add first before we move forward.
0: So I currently deal with a heel pain in my left foot that I've had since like April timeframe when I really started running again. And so I did get new shoes um, and I actually got two pairs of shoes. I got a pair of walking shoes that have a little bit of a, a heel lift. I think they were like a three millimeter heel lift. And then I, I got my zero drop running shoes. Um, and I wouldn't say that I, I didn't rest it at all. And it hurt. It hurt a lot. I had I had the first morning pain. I mean, there were days that, that was awful. Um, and it wasn't until maybe like November, October, November time frame when, I was uh, doing spinning more than running, that I, it find, I still have some pain, but the pain is much less. And I don't have the first morning pain anymore. Um, but when it first happened, it hurt so bad. Um, and it was a little bit more in the back of the foot, my current pain um, than the bottom. And I thought it was a heel spur is what I thought I had. But I also was dealing with other chronic medical issues. In with the pandemic, I have not gone to my primary care yet to see where I should go next, because that's what I have to do. I can't just go to PT, but, um, I thought mine was a heel spur, um, but I still run on it and the rest definitely helped, um, regardless of which of those two it is.
1: That's interesting that you thought that was a heel spur. Cause that's kind of what I was thinking too. It'd be interesting to look into, um, Something that's interesting because I'm a nerd like that, the foot is actually the most common place to have um, spurs or extra bones. It's just most people actually have an extra bone or two in their feet. So if you go and get an x-ray and they're like, hey, you have an extra bone here. It's actually super common for that to happen. And depending on where that is, if that is something that you have, it can cause pain after repeated um, activity like running. Um, My first recommendation, if you have the option... Allison would be to go to a PT. If you don't like most saying that she can't go to a PT first for insurance reasons, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, you go to your primary care and ask for a referral to PT. Technically, legally, you don't have to go to a primary care to get a referral to PT. Some insurance companies require, require it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'd have to check all the rules. I know in the state of Utah and a lot in the majority of the states in the United States, um, you have direct access to a physical therapist, meaning that you do not have to have a referral to walk into a PT office. Some insurance companies will require it, but legally you can go to a PT without a referral. So that would be my first recommendation, just because you're going to get more answers. You could go you could keep Googling, we could keep chatting and we could kind of try to figure things out, but the most time effective and cost effective solution is going to be to just go to a PT right away and say, look, this is what I'm having. They can actually put hands on you and t- check and be like, does it hurt here, here? Let's look at the movements. Let's check out your movement patterns and they can help you with some solutions right off the bat. Um, and then you'll come back in. you'll check in with them and this is working and this is not And that'll be more time effective for sure because you'll have somebody that you can talk to on a regular basis. I think, um, I liked your suggestion of getting new shoes. Depending on how old your shoes are, that's definitely a good option to look into. If you do go and work with a PT, they can also help you figure out shoes that would be good for your gait if there's someone who's um, studied in that. There's the whole science behind picking shoes shoes is kind of crazy, but there is, you know, shoes that'll be better and shoes that will be not as good depending on your gait pattern. So the PT can kind of help you steer you in the right direction. Then you can go look and see what's going to work for your body. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I would say a referral to PT would be a really good place to okay. start.
2: And luckily for me, I have a high deductible plan with an HSA, so I can just skip the doctor and go straight to the PT yeah. and, um, As far as shoes go, so you're saying maybe that picking the shoes with the best rebate is not the way to pick a shoe. (laughs)
0: No, (laughs) I mean, if you know how to shop around. (laughs) So interesting. I just went to the running store to try some new shoes, and I still stayed with my same running brand. Um, I haven't got the shoes yet because I had to order my size, but um, I've been ordering them off of Amazon. And I said, you know, this pair just didn't really seem to like do it for me. Maybe it's the heel pain I had, but he was like, he asked where I got it. And I said, Amazon, maybe I told him that I'm not sure. And he's like, well, and it's super, they're really cheap. They're like a hundred dollars on Amazon versus like $140 at the running store. And I was like, oh, he's like, yeah, think of like what goes to Amazon is kind of like the outlet quality of things. And I was like, so rebates, maybe not, but thinking i was like oh huh and so here i am i feel things still slightly there
2: probably one of the another yet another thing where it will cost you more money in the long run to buy cheap
1: yeah i'd agree mm-hmm. i think and maybe this is an, a, a question for another day or a topic for another day talking about plantar fasciitis, because I have a lot going on in my head about it, because I do know a lot of people do deal with it, that there are some things that can be done if that is what you're dealing with at home. But maybe that's a topic for another day, because it is a big topic.
0: Um, and one thing I, I want to just remind our listeners is, you know, the plantar fasciitis could also just be a symptom, of, not just, I should say, because it's not a just pain. Um, but it could be a symptom of, you mentioned like the running gait. Um, and there might be something um, in your running gait that you could change in order to prevent maybe pronating on one side or of, of a foot. Um, or maybe there's an, a strength imbalance in your hips that's kind of making everything get wonky and it comes out at your foot. Um, so, you know, the things we're talking about now are symptoms. Some PTs are going to look further up that running chain. Um, that it's not just looking at the foot or the ankle, like it's that whole whole body and the way you're moving when running and or walking.
1: 100%. Well, and I'll say too, that it's usually not just the, the foot, ankle issue. So when I was doing my, one of my clinicals for PT school, I was working at an outpatient clinic and I was working with people with all sorts of stuff. So hip pain, knee pain, neck pain. And we had, this is, this relates, I swear, but we had someone with neck pain that we were coming in. We were treating neck pain. We treated neck pain for like six weeks. And like at the neck, we did everything, neck and shoulders. We were doing massage. We're doing exercise. We're doing stretching. We're doing all like all the tricks that we could try to help with this neck pain. And it wasn't getting any better. And so we like backed out for a second and thought about things and then went and looked at the pelvis to see what was going on the pelvis. And it turns out her pelvis was all whacked out. So we fixed the pelvis and the neck pain went away. And so a lot of times, and some PTs will do this. They'll get really like, I mean, that's what I did. I got really hung up on where the pain was, that I wasn't looking at everything. So you definitely want to make sure that, you know, you don't want to go in and tell your PT how to do their job, but you want a PT that's going to be comprehensive and looking at you as a whole person, not just as you as foot pain or you as neck pain so that they can actually give you the, the solution that you need. And while we're talking about T- PT, because I'm a big advocate for going to PT, don't feel like you have to get to this place where you're like in excruciating pain to go and find someone to help you with it. You can go in and say, you know what, this has been bothering me for a few weeks. I can still walk, I can still run, but it's not comfortable anymore. What can I do? As PTs, I can't speak for all of them, but a lot of us are just movement nerds. Like we really love to see how the body can move. And, and you know what? If things aren't moving properly, we can give you some some tips, pointers, exercises that are going to change how you move as a whole, which can be change can make a major change on, you know, pain that you feel in your body, energy levels that you have recovery time, all that kind of stuff, just by having a little bit of guidance. So don't feel like you have to get to this point where it's miserable and awful to go get help from a physical therapist. Cause if you go in and they can't help you, they'll tell you there's nothing they can do to help you. But nine times out of 10, there's going to be something they can do to make your experience better.
2: Great stuff. Cool, thank you.
0: All right, Um, so our second question is from our listener, Diana. Um, And so here's our question. I just received the Powerful Mom Project, insert yay, for Christmas. (laughs) What's different about kettlebells and what are the pros and cons of using the kettlebell versus dumbbells? And on a side note, my daughter is looking for a kettlebell. They're virtually sold out all over town. She saw the one I bought and thought it would probably be a simple and effective workout for her that she can do at home all on her own without my prompting. So that's exciting. So yes, um, your, Diana, your comments about from your daughter about being able to do it at home and simple, um, one piece of equipment, um, that's great. But as you said, they're also sold out. So we wanted to answer this question in a form of, like a little bit broader of what's the difference of the different um, weight modalities you can use with strength training. So the m- big ones that are kettlebells, dumbbells, barbells, Kelsey uses sandbags. She even mentioned a kettlebell sandbag. Was it a sandbag kettlebell? Yeah. Um, and then there's other things such as like a TRX that you know, allow you to move your body in different ways to have body weight for your resistance. Um, and so my first comment in general, when it comes to picking a modality for strength training is it should be something for you that is one, fun and two, effective. it needs to be fun so you could do it and effective so you keep going to do it. Um, when it comes to the different types of modalities, they're all pretty unique in some way, right? Or we wouldn't have different methods. And so when you're looking at why do I want to do a kettlebell versus a dumbbell, um, or a barbell for that matter, a lot of people think space. And so, and the, the sandbags can fit in over in this kettlebell side of, I don't need a lot of equipment to have an effective workout with one or two kettlebells or one sandbag that I can vary its weight where if I want dumbbells or a barbell, I need to have a lot of different weights for those. Uh, Or they take up a lot more space like a barbell so um, a lot of that's kind of a preference and if you're looking at building a home gym um, what takes the least amount of space. Sorry if you can hear my three year old stomping around Um, like a dinosaur. (laughs) Um, And so when you're looking at how much space you have and if you're looking at a smaller space, you know things like the sandbags or the kettlebells are going to take up less space because you need less of them. Um, Kelsey, did you want to add anything in there? Yeah.
1: So when I started working out, when I started strength training, I was in my front room or my living room at a rental that we were living in. And I invested in a set of adjustable dumbbells. So I was able to adjust them from five pounds to 50 pounds. That was a really good option for me at the time. It is not a cheap option but it is cheaper than buying a 50 or a 50, 40, 30, you know, all the way, all the weights that are included in that. And it takes up a lot less space. Right now I have, I'm looking at my pile in my garage and I have three sets of adjustable dumbbells and that's what I recommend to my clients that want to invest in dumbbells is a set of adjustable dumbbells. That's what I recommend when we're not in a situation where you can't find anything, which is where we tend to find ourselves right now is, If you walk into like Walmart and you see dumbbells in a size that you've been looking for, you better go grab them right away because if you go do your grocery shopping and then swing back around, they're probably not going to be there because everybody's looking for them with the gyms being closed or having to have appointments to go to the gym. So I recommend trying to find a set of adjustables if that's what they want. I have a client who wanted to do more Bar barbell work, but she doesn't have the space for a barbell, and so that's where the recommendation for the sandbag has started coming in for my clients. Is you can do with a sandbag any sort of lift you would do with a barbell, you can do with the sandbag sometimes. You have to tweak it just a little bit, but the reason I really like to recommend the sandbags to my clients is all of my clients are moms, and so we're doing strength training, not to, you know, go to a competition or do something like that. We're doing strength training to be strong for life in general. And I really like the versatility of the sandbag training for moms. So we had, we had a workout one day where we had to do bear hug squats and step-ups with the sandbag. And I was like, guys, it's just like doing step-ups with your two-year-old. I mean, here's, here's your 30 pound sandbag, go step up 20 times on that. And it feels like you're whole Holding your two year old because it's like a little sack of potatoes that's not really helpful at all. And you're holding it on your front like you do with your kid. So I think that the sandbags is actually really um, transferable to strength tasks that we have to deal with in motherhood. A lot of times, if you go on Instagram and you look at sandbag workouts, you're going to see like all of these like tactical type people, these people that are in law enforcement or firefighters that's what a lot of that crowd tends to gravitate towards the sandbags because it's unstable load. It's practicing moving people or, you know, large awkward objects. But I really think that there is like this hidden benefit to sandbags and motherhood because we are, I mean, I, I pick up my kids last night. I carried my two kids, my six-year-old and my four-year-old up the stairs. One's 50 pounds, one's 35 pounds. And they're not like picking up a weighted dumbbell because they're big and they're awkward and they're squishy, you know? So I really like the sandbags for strength training and motherhood because I think they're more transferable. And like I said, you get one sandbag, you get two filler bags, you can fill them with different weights and you can either make it heavy, you can take one of the bags out and make it lighter. And you can do a lot of really fun things with a sandbag that if I had known about sandbags two years ago, when I was living in my house where I had, you know, not a lot of space, I would have had a set of dumbbells and a sandbag. And that would have been my priority over getting, you know, the whole barbell set up when we moved to this house. So I think it's an interesting, and I'd love to, I, I go on with that. My clients, they can tell you all about it because I keep talking about it because I think it's a really interesting, fun thing to add in. And I think you were mentioning that, like, you got to have something that's fun when you're going to do strength training.
0: Yeah. I love the fact that you know, how transferable the sandbags sound to like carrying your children, Um, you know. I mean, I I, I am personally partial to kettlebells myself, but um, the sandbags definitely sound interesting. And the kettlebell sandbag is, you know, takes the kettlebell, which is a solid weight versus the sandbag, which is not solid. It's very, as you said, squishy uh, or Mm -hmm. unstable, maybe a more scientific term. Um, And you know, your body has to react differently um, with something that is a solid, stable weight versus a variable weight. And if you've ever seen somebody try to like lift a tube of water that isn't completely full is different. It's like harder than it is to lift the tube, that same tube that's completely full of water and more stable. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one of the other differences um, to the original question of like kettlebells versus dumbbells. Um, and same with barbells and sandbags and so forth is one of the differences is where those, that weight distribution of each of those modalities is different. And so, you know, doing a press with a dumbbell has the weight on each side of your fist versus on the back of your arm, like a kettlebell. Um, so you might find that 35 pounds with a dumbbell has one feel to your body doing a movement, but doing that movement with a kettlebell is different. And going one step further, a while ago, I was doing uh, a lot of overhead pressing with double kettlebells. It was pretty heavy. And I load, I got my barbell. This was like 10 years ago, got my barbell and I loaded up that same weight to do a double military press, but your hands aren't facing each other. The fists are facing away from your body. And so with that difference of, uh, my hand placement, I, could not move the same amount of weight and i'm like but i have two hands moving and i thought this would have been easier and then yeah. you know this was years ago my husband was like well your arms are different so you use those slightly different muscles and i personally do a combination of barbell and kettlebell work these days um because i i do squats both holding a kettlebell and with a barbell um to get that difference um because i can hold the barbell on my back and then i do a front squats. Kettlebells um, because that little bit of a different movement or placement of the weight uses some of those um, accessory muscles differently as well. So I'm not always working like my main major muscle groups. Yeah. So I do like both. Um, One other, just kind of, we've already mentioned, you know, you, you need less with. Kettlebells versus dumbbells, usually dumbbells you have in pairs, so two for every weight, and then you usually have a wider range of weights. Uh, but with a kettlebell, you can hold the kettlebell in a variety of different positions. So you can do a goblet hold and do squats. You can hold it um, one at a time or one in each hand if you had two. Um, but if I were to hold one kettlebell in a wrapped position and then do squats, um, then I'm getting more of an ab oblique workout. Um, because I have to hold my active balance side to side. Um, I can also do a bottoms up hold, which then is working more arms while I'm doing whole, uh, squats or whatever movement I want to do. So I can take one weight and get different movements with it. Um, where like I can do, you know, a one-sided squat, one-sided arm squat to get a heavier squat in. And then I would do both sides I'm doing a little higher volume. Um, and if that gets too easy, then I can do bottoms up, which requires even uh, more uh, muscles to be working all at once. And then more muscles you can work at one time means you don't have to spend as much time total, um, in the gym or doing your workout.
1: And I just, I want to add to follow up with all of that, because I think that's really great information that regardless of whatever modality you choose to use whether you spend the money and buy one set of dumbbells or you spend the money and you buy a heavy kettlebell and a light kettlebell, or you spend the money and you decide to get a sandbag and fill it with different weights, regardless of which one you pick, you can get an effective strength training workout if you have the right workout, if that makes sense. Exactly. So if you have the right trainer, or the right program, um, whichever you, whichever way you decide to go, if you get the right information, and you get somebody who's knowledgeable in that area, you can have a really good workout. The, the group that I do my workouts with right now is called that I get for my personal workouts. Cause I pay for workouts. I'm not going to write my own workouts. Cause that's crazy. Uh, for me, at least I just, I can't, I can't think like that. I work with, um, I'm a member of the street parking group and they, every April they do what's called project April. And it's just dumbbells. They just do a whole month of dumbbell workouts and you can do the other stuff, but they're trying to show people that if you have the right workouts, all you need is a set of dumbbells, or if you have the right workouts, all you need is a kettlebell, or if you have the right workouts, all you need is a sandbag. You just have to make sure that you're approaching it the right way. And you have the right, um, you're getting the right input from your workout. And that's going to give you results regardless of which, um, modality you chose to go with. So,
0: all right. And I'll give myself a shameless plug. Uh, do it. that the powerful mom project that Diana mentioned um, I'll put a link in the show notes um, but all of the workouts in there are um, under 30 minutes I think they're actually under 25 depending on if you take longer rest or not so um, they are designed to be in and out and quick and it wasn't a powerful mom workout this morning but my workout this morning was like 25 minutes um, using dump or sorry using kettlebells and some body weight stuff so Um, And another question before we get our last question, how would somebody right now, kettlebells are really hard to get. Um, I'd love to tell you where to get them, but I don't have an answer for you, but where would somebody get um, sandbags or since that's kind of a newer object?
1: Yes. The sandbags that I use are a brand called brute force and they are American made. They're local in Colorado. So I really love that. I love being able to shop American made stuff. We can put a link to them. I have a link for uh, brute force. We'll put it in the show notes. They have small bags, which are the mini bags that come with one filler bag, all the way up to an athlete bag, which will come with two, a strongman bag, which comes with three, and then they have the kettlebells as well. So you can get on there and you can shop the range. I usually recommend for my clients to start with the mini. Um, it weights up to about 25 pounds. Um, or the athlete bag, because you can adjust it a little bit more because it comes with the two fillers. And you can usually find um, discount codes on Facebook or on their website. So we'll put a link to them in the show notes as well. All right. And then our last question um, is for Allison. And I'm trying to remember who asked it. Oh, so Sheena asked, what is the best way to save for a family vacation on a tight budget? And I love that question because that's one of our family goals this year is to go on a vacation, but we also have a lot of other financial goals. So we're trying to keep a somewhat tight budget, not super tight, but a somewhat tight budget. So what are your recommendations, Allison?
2: So this is a, an answer with a few different parts. Um, and I'll start with the first one. So if you've already got a tight budget, um, you, of course, want to first make sure that you've got it as tight as you can get it. And by that, I don't mean um, getting ridiculous and restricting yourself. But what I do mean is making sure that you've got your utility bills as low as they can go. Um, You know, call your cell phone provider and see if there's a deal they can give you to lower that bill and just go through all of those steps to make sure that you're not paying more for the things that you have than what you need to be paying um, step one and anything you save there take withdraw from your bank account and save in cash um, because if you just you know if you're saving $20 a month on your phone bill and you just leave it in your bank account you're going to find somewhere else to spend it no doubt about it um, so take it out put it in an envelope or put it wherever you need to put it in a different account you know, whatever works for you, but separate it. Um, And then the second thing that you need to consider, unless you really have, you know, big savings that you get, which most people don't, there's only so much you can save, but there's an unlimited amount of money you can make. So um, look into a side hustle of some sort. And that can be anything from Selling things on Facebook Marketplace, you know, clean out your basement, clean out your closet. There's a ton of different e commerce platforms you can use. Um, Facebook Marketplace is one you can now ship on there, which makes selling things a little bit easier. Um, there's eBay, Mercari, ThreadUp. You can sell clothes, you can start an Etsy shop. There are a million different options. And, um, you know, if that's if you happen to be in a position where you're trying to get a little extra money, and you want to check into something like that, you can definitely reach out to me because I've got a lot of ideas. But besides that, there are other side hustles you can do. Um, you can don't
1: know. Shoot.
2: Darn it. Um sorry about that. I'm having technical difficulties with my internet the last couple weeks um there are other jobs online that you can do so even if you're in a position where you don't have child care and you can't be leaving your house there are still ways to bring some extra income in so and you do the same thing with any savings any extra money that you make um keep it separate and just as a just one idea, my husband is pretty good with, um, he's artistic and good with crafts. And somebody was just selling a bunch of cabinet doors on Facebook Marketplace for cheap. And he bought them and he's now making, you know, sanding them down and making wooden signs out of them and selling them. So, you know, just be creative. If, but if you're not crafty, don't try to do a craft, you know, do something that suits you and um, would be suited to your talents. Um, So that's, you know, that side hustle, cut your budget down, look into a side hustle, and then choose a budget-friendly vacation. So if you're on a tight budget and you wanna go on vacation, um, you're probably, unless you're working on a couple year plan, not gonna be taking 10 people to Disney World. that's a really expensive vacation. So, look into alternatives. And there are so many out there. I follow a lot of travel bloggers because I kind of like to travel. And it's just amazing how many off the beaten path things are so cool. Um, and, you know, since I've designated myself the self appointed ambassador of Omaha. I can talk about that as one option. You know, We have the best zoo in the world right here, um, sometimes disputed by San Diego, but whatever, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, But this is a really affordable place to come if you have kids and there's really cool stuff to do here and most people would never think that. And um, that leads me to believe that there must be tens of thousands of other places in the United States that are just as cool that people don't think of as a typical vacation, um, you know, and, and you just have to be creative with that and follow travel bloggers, follow bloggers within your immediate area. Um, because there's always somebody, there's one I follow here. Um, her business is called Oh My Omaha. And she goes places that are within like four hours of here and she reviews them and she gets, you know, free lodging and whatever in exchange. But she gives honest reviews, and she is really thorough. And she's given me a lot of ideas for weekend trips close to here. And those, you know, the internet is full of full of those kind of people these days. And it's well worth your while to follow them because you can find out before you go: is it kid friendly? Is it not? Is it expensive? Is the food horrible? Um, so do that too, put some time into planning. And um, I find that one of the very most expensive things when we take a vacation is the food. Um, so when you're looking at your lodging wherever you're going to stay, um, if you have a big family, look into running a house on you know, an Airbnb or VRBO, whatever, or at the very least a place with a kitchen. Um, And if you can't, you know, if if you're not staying in a hotel that offers free breakfast, make sure that there's a way that you can make your own breakfast and not have to eat out that meal and be able to have snacks and take water bottles. That's huge. You know, don't pay $4 for a bottle of water and have to buy five of those all day long at the minimum. You know, just do a lot of pre planning to make your vacation a little bit less expensive. You can still have just as much fun while not buying, you know, expensive bottled water and a fourteen-dollar bag of chips.
0: <laughs> Funny personal story about the the water. Um, two years ago now, because you know life. But uh, a couple of girlfriends and I, we went to New York City for a girls' weekend. And I was like, guys, I gotta go get water. I don't, I, I don't drink tap water in other places. I drink bottled water and it was New York city. So I'm like, I don't wanna buy it. Like walking down the street, at, like the convenience store. And there was a whole foods like two blocks away. Uh, it was like the closest grocery store we saw. It's, and I don't know New York city very well. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna get a case of water. And I'm like, does anybody nobody else wanted water? I was like, okay, and they're like, I mean, are you gonna drink that all? And I was like, yes. So they took like a third of the case Um, and there were three people in their room and two people in my room and we were only there two nights. And so this was like a 36 bottle, like 16 ounce bottles of water. And by the end, I was like, do you guys have any water? left?" Like you drank all that water. And I'm like, yes, I did. Which is why I wanted to buy it for like $6 for all 36 of these versus me needing to get so much other water throughout the day. And I would carry it around in my water bottle. So that, in my mind is a personal thing. I like nice water and I saved a ton of money by being able to go to the store and do that.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a little inconvenient sometimes, but like a couple of years ago, we went to Florida and I already knew the hotel we were staying in offered food, but it was like $7 for a bagel. And I know, you know, I just don't want to pay that. So on the way from the airport to the hotel, we stopped at Walmart and got snacks and some breakfasty things and whatever just to have in the room. And when we got there, the bellboy was helping us with our luggage. And he's like, oh, you guys got groceries? Oh, that's a great idea. I never see anybody do that here. And I thought, that is insane. I mean, I don't care how much money you have. Do you really want to spend $50 on a grab and go breakfast every morning for four people? Because I don't. I mean, if it's a, if it's a dire need, sure. But I'm going to plan ahead and skip that every
0: time. (laughs)
1: Well, especially in Florida, stuff's not cheap in Florida.
0: (laughs) Not the vacation areas for sure.
1: Ooh, I love that idea. And I love, I love that Airbnb is such a big thing now. So that like when you go on vacation, you don't have to go to the hotel. And I love having access to a kitchen, even though when we go stay in Airbnb, a lot of times we don't cook a ton, but we, we will do at least one meal at home when we do the Airbnbs. And I love that last time we went to an Airbnb in the summer, we just went up to Idaho for a family thing. And I, I took my blender and I took all my smoothie stuff so that I could do, my breakfast that I wanted to do while we were there. And I did a smoothie for me and for my kids. And that was awesome. My husband, we were packing up to go and I put my blender in our bag with our snacks. And he's like, are you really going to take that? And I was like, yeah, I'm really going to take it. He's like, are you sure? I was like, yeah. And I made like three smoothies while we were there. It was, it was totally worth it. But it was one of those things that he was like, that's, that's really weird. And my in-laws stayed with us and they were like, why'd you bring a blender? And I was like, cause I want my smoothie. Like, I don't want to have to go out for breakfast and I don't like to eat like cold cereal for breakfast, just, it doesn't do anything for me. I'm starving within like an hour. I'm like, it'll be cheaper for us to just take the blender and let me do my smoothies. When we went to tactical games, we stayed in in our trailer and I did the same thing. I took my blender with me in the trailer and I made my smoothie there too. So I have been known to travel with my blender if it makes my life easier.
0: I haven't traveled with the blender, but my question when we go somewhere is nearly always, is there a blender there because i need to know if not i want to take it and the last place we went this summer was like a house we rented um in the Shenandoah valley and i was like i need to know if there's a blender and my husband usually does all this stuff and he's like well, we can just take ours because we were driving because often we fly I'm like well if there's one there i don't need to take it but like i need to know if it's there because i need to have my blender in <laughs> a kettlebell for driving i take my kettlebell Another yeah.
2: yeah i have taken my blender before um, not for a long time, but I have, and it's when we, even when we go home to visit family, we always have a bag of food that we take with because, you know, Danny eats certain things and I don't want to have to buy all that stuff when we get there. If we've got some at home, we're just going for a few days. We just take it with.
1: I love it. Okay. Well, I think, unless you guys have anything else to add, I think that wraps up our first Q&A episode. Definitely not the last. We have a few questions that we didn't get to, so we'll do another one of these in the future. And as always, if any of you listening have more questions for us, feel free to message us, send us an email, the emails in the show notes, or hop over to our Facebook group
0: and ask them there. All right. Thank you. The Unstressed Mama podcast is brought to you by Allison Rodden, Kelsey Decker, and Melissa Srovy. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Unstressed Mama and on Instagram at Unstressed Mama.
1: If you like what you heard, be sure to tell your friends so other mamas can join in the fun. You can find our individual contact information in the show notes for this episode.
2: If you have questions about this topic or suggestions for future topics, the best place to reach us is through our Facebook, Instagram page, or email at unstressedmama at gmail.com.